Joanne Delacruz is a professor, lawyer, human rights advocate, and lobbies on behalf of policy changes in the Philippines. The pattern of her life has been one where she works towards making the Philippines a better place to live and to be. In today's episode, we talk about the life and death of Jesse Robredo, the divide between liberal versus DDS in the Philippines, human rights, and the challenge of finding love as a lady lawyer in the Philippines. I do hope you enjoy today's episode. Okay, Joanne, welcome to my podcast. Hi, Rami. Hello, everyone who's listening. Yeah. Uh, for the for the benefit of the listeners, do you mind introducing yourself, Joanne? Well, hi, I'm Joanne de la Cruz. I know Rami from law school. He's one of my close blockmate friends. But Rami, he always asks on-point questions. That's why when he asked me to join him in his pod- podcast, I said, sure, Rami, this will be an interesting conversation. As, as, as with any conversation I have with you, it's always interesting. Because <laughs> no, nobody knows where the questions are going to come from. Kasi. Pero yeah. dito naman, I gave the questions in advance, so it, yeah, na, nothing is a surprise. I was looking at it last week, I was randomly posting, oh, interesting tong question na to. And even when I woke up at 6.30, I said, oh, I'm one of your questions. <laughs> oh, yeah, which we'll, which we'll get to, which, which yeah, we'll yeah, get go, enough go. to talk about. But uh, if you could give us a quick background also of your professional background, because that's okay. probably some of the most interesting stuff about you. So I graduated college 2009, and then I joined, well, I was in a local company with my family. And then after that, I was invited to join the Secretary Jesse Robredo in the ILG. So I was with him for two years until he passed away, uh, which was today, by the way. Today is his death anniversary when his plane crashed in Masbate. And then I stayed for a year with Secretary Mar Rojas. And then that's when I decided to go to law school. I was blockmates. Well, I was I first two years of law school and then I took a leave. <laughs> I campaigned again. I have something with campaigning. And then when I came back, um, no, that's when uh, I met Rami. And then after law school, thankfully I passed the bar. I went into a private firm in Ortigas. I was there for two years. I just quit actually. I um I now I'm now working in a policy NGO. I've been here for two months. And I'm also going to start teaching labor law um, in Manila. So that should be interest, an interesting, ano, interesting shift. <laughs> Joanne, a lot of the things that you have outlined you know, about your professional background, that you uh, came from this development studies background, you eventually uh, worked in government and then pursued the law, and then worked in government again and then continued pursuing <laughs> the law. Um there's like common theme to them, no? So I was just wondering why, why, why are you, why, why does that seem to be the trajectory that your, uh, your life has taken? That I shift in and out of, I know, work or like I, I change, uh, I go back to government at some point in like or public or development work. Um, cause I was, I was, sorry, I didn't mention I was a development studies graduate, and when I was mm-hmm. in college. Our, my block, we were very rara. We want to change the world. We want to change the country. There was a part of me, I was so enamored with Marxism. So for me, um, fresh out of college, working in government was the most direct way I felt of trying to make a difference. Um, and 
part of it was also because of my principal because I was also looking for a mentor, someone who can teach me. And true enough, he was a very good mentor teacher, like Jesse. Um, but as you can see, uh, I, I kept on shifting. Eh. Parang law, balik to campaign. And for me, politics was also very important because I feel like politics, if done right, you can do a lot of good things. Um, but for now, I'm. It's a, It's my first time actually to work in an NGO. When I was in government, we usually partnered with a lot of NGOs. But it's the first time that I was outside government, trying to put pressure in government to do something. Um, but ultimately, I'd say na yung trajectory ko is really trying to find my space in the development world and the legal world. So I'm trying. I was trying to merge that, and. I was trying to do litigation before, pero at the end of the day, parang sabi ko, ah, it's, my heart is really in ano, development work. And right now, policy seems to be the most logical thing to do, given my legal background. Mm-hmm. So you, you said something particularly interesting na, when you mentioned that politics, when done successfully, uh, can be a very, uh, uh, I believe the word you used was like uh, good uh, f- good impact no or, or, or mm. that's something to that effect um what is what is successful politics because i've never i've never really used the word success i've never really heard <laughs> the, the word success and politics mentioned next to each other what is successful politics well just to give everyone a background because they come from a political family so when i was growing up i really my mom was in politics for 30 years so i saw how you know if you have a good vision you do the politics right. Politics meaning, I mean, dealing with the daily challenges of people coming to you. I mean, there's a, there's an angle of that. Na you have to deal with all your constituents, but also politics in a sense of changing policy in a like in a local government setting. That's my more, that's my exposure growing up, and that's my exposure with working with Sec Jesse. Parang I saw now if there are good people in politics, and if I were to be technical about it. Um, nung, when I was in college, yung thesis ko was business managers in local politics, an analysis of the performance of local chief executives who had management backgrounds. And for me, that was very interesting because running, for me, the premise is running a local government, running government should be like running a business. Because you have to mm-hmm. be efficient, you have to respond to your constituents in a fast way. And you have so much resources because, right? You have taxes go to the national government. You have era for local governments, and now with the Mandanas ruling, more look more money for local government. So, ang basic premise lage. Well, my suggestion will always say that because of all that resources, power entrusted to you, it is your responsibility as a public servant, regardless if you're a politician or a regular employee, to serve the people right, to serve them fairly. So yeah, that's always my premise. Working in government is a privilege and a responsibility, and if it's, your heart is into it, you can do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, of all the different places, no, because I think, like, as a lawyer, that's also one of the challenging things, or like that's an intellectual game that we play with ourselves. The place mm-hmm. in the governmental structure where we can perhaps do the most good. You chose the DILG. Uh, why? Why is it of all the different departments of all the different places that you could have put your development studies background to, you chose the DILG? It was really because of Sec Jesse. <laughs> and truth be told, um, yung na-mentioned kong thesis ko, he was one of my studies, Sec Jesse. And I really idolized him. So I was surprised when he found out that I wasn't doing anything after my, after working in a local campaign. So when he invited me, I couldn't say no. 
And DILG for me was a perfect platform because I've always been interested with local governments because of my mom. And I was fortunate enough na to see Sec Jesse firsthand, academically, theoretically, um, when he was a subject of my study, and then working with him firsthand in the ILG. And I've always believed since then, um, as I always keep on mentioning, that local governments, I think, is a key factor in the way our country will move forward because the Philippines is too big. I mean, the archipelagos are we're too far away. I mean, geographically, it's hard. And um, local governments talaga sila yung directly with the people. Eh. And yeah, that's for me, the merge of interior and local governments in DLG is a perfect avenue to learn and to get that background of how I can do more development work. Mm-hmm. Just for the benefit of my listeners who are not uh, lawyers no, or mm-hmm. uh, into local politics very much, what is the DILG vis-a-vis uh, the LGU? So is it supervisory? What is what's the precise relationship that exists? Mm, that's a good question. Um, Jen, the local governments about under our constitution, it's generally general supervision. I mean, the, if you differentiate it, uh, provinces, but tama, but provinces and cities general supervision of the president and then the ILG super. I mean, generally, it's the national government just supervises local governments because there's a basic premise in our constitution that they have local autonomy. Um, so, in terms of sorry, going back to your question, tama ba yami ang question mo was importance of local governments or the legal framework? Uh, no, like how does the DILG relate to the LGU okay. systems that okay. we have? Yeah. So since supervisory lang kami, and in terms of provinces and each and highly urbanized cities, really the president and delegated sa DILG. Yung DILG because we su- we supervise, we can only provide incentives or carrots. Um, we can't say to an LGU, "Oh, ito gawin mo." We can't we can't control them, eh, de ba nga? Kasi may autonomy. So just to illustrate. That concept. Um, when we were in DILG, one of the key programs of SecJC was the Performance Challenge Fund and the Seal of Good Local Governance. Now, what does that mean? Parang if uh, LGU performs on basic governance standards, they get an incentive. We started with one million. We got it from an extra money from the GAA, and then it leveled up. Ang idea lang no, you provide incentives for these local governments to be transparent by with key indicators the national government. And then if you do that, you get a prize. So mm-hmm. dahil, because of that premise that national government can control, ang DILG talaga is really just provide incentives by the form of carrots, and then syempre, may sticks yun. If may ginawang mali ang isang LGU, we can initiate admin cases. Um, pero syempre, that goes to the office of the president. But we have investigatory powers, recommendatory powers. But at the end of the day, um, it always goes back to respecting local autonomy. So DILG can only, in the simplest terms, DILG provides the stick and the carrots to just make sure that local governments are in line with the national policies and priorities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you had this really interesting observation a while ago where uh, you, you said that, how shall we put it, the uh, the local government units are run the best when they run like businesses, and mm-hmm. the you know you tested that hypothesis by checking how uh, local executives were when they came from these business backgrounds. No, um, do you think the current system, as it is currently set up, right, does it incentivize that kind of leader coming to the forefront, or is 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 that not the case? Because you know the reason why this question occurs to me at all is because there is that need for incentive given by the DILG. Mm. So. Uh, what are your thoughts on the matter? 
yung problema kasi with my hypothesis, um, kasi diba at the end of the day, you elect local officials through the ballots. So, parang t- the fact of graduating as a manager, having background as a manager, or being a lawyer, regardless of how good you are, if you don't have that, um, I'll, sige, I'll, I'll call it like a political acumen or charisma, you will not win. So, in terms of the current structure, I can't speak, I can only speak generally, yeah. Because um, even when I was in DILG, I really saw there were performing local chief executives, young people like us, who were very idealistic when they came into office. And Champre, they came into office, a lot of those young people, Champre, they had the background also. They either come from a political family, and but they had that basic foundation. So my, I'm very realistic now. Like, in terms of, Observing the structure, in terms of the structure, I really feel like I will go beyond the question. But I feel like um, the hope there is really having idealistic people who still believe in the power to change things. Because, parang as of now, ang hirap ng electoral process. Because it's, tiba parang it's major. I mean, sino pin- like even if in our town, nagkaroon kami ng tie, the only way to break a tie was through a toss coin. I mean, that's how <laughs> diba, simplistic it is. Um, and to be able to win in local politics, diba, you have to have resources, you have to have the connection. So, um, to, to do that, you have to come from a certain background. So, hopefully lang, like for me, yun lang yung nakikita ko hope there, that those who win, even if they come from that, what you call dynasty, Political um, elite, maybe. Yeah. Political elite. Um, they still, they're very, they're more idealistic. They're more forward-thinking. And sorry, I'll just, ano, I'll segue. Pero di ba naman sec Jesse when he first won as mayor, he was because of Villaverde. Um, but he was able to turn that around and be his own person. So I always tell my friends who are now running into office, parang you know it's okay if you come from a political background, political family. That's who you are. That's part of who you are. But it's about owning your narrative. Um, mm. diba? and just be, be, just do the good that you want to do. Bahala na if they say you're a dynasty or whatever. So yun na yung pragmatic self ko now in terms of our system. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, uh, you you mentioned Sec Jesse about a few times now, and I just wanted mm-hmm. to lay the foundation of who you were because otherwise, you know, you have this um, monolith of a man to talk about. And so mm-hmm. let, let's begin with uh, maybe let let's. Let's start with what that man was like. So what was it like to work for uh, Sec Jesse? Hmm. Sorry, very, ano, kaya kaya siya pabalik-balik, minimension today, kasi nga today is his, ano, diba, death anniversary. And like, mm-hmm. I keep on remembering him today. Pero as a, I always say in, uh, Sec Jesse to me, well, he was my boss, but he was also like my father. Eh? Kaya it was also very emotional for me when he died. Um, so if I differentiate, like as a boss, uh, just to put it in context, he was my first boss ever. Uh, fresh out of college, I didn't know how to write a position paper or a letter. So it was to that point that he was my teacher. He proofread what I wrote. He hindi niya ako pinabagulitan actually, because like his basic premise as a boss was if malinaw sa akin ano yung tama or mali, wag kong itanong sa kanya. Like, he gave me autonomy, the way the same concept as a local government unit. <laughs> but I have to be accountable to him. So, for example, I handled his schedule. 
um, I can decide how the schedule will look like. As in, I won't, he won't micromanage me. Pero pag may pumalya dyan, I have to be accountable to him. I'll have to apologize. And that was our, rela- our relationship as a boss. I was very honest with him. Um, and since bata ako, nung pumasok ako, it was my first boss, every aspect of, kasi it was a very powerful office, di ba? Like, may point na may lumalapit sa akin, magbibigay bigla ng gold watch. Parang, hindi ko po yung tatanggapin. And like, I always talk to people with a lot of other people. I don't wanna be be accused kasi of, you know, of accepting anything. Um, but every time there's something, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with something, there's a situation na alam ko parang, parang ethically mali, I would consult Sec Jesse or I would consult the team. And as a boss, he all, in the same way he, as he was as a mayor, he always listened. Yung second aspect nun, him as like, he was like my father for two years. Because like every day he'd start calling yan, it's five o'clock, six o'clock. Kasi nga, I was handling his schedule. So lahat ng questions niya with his briefing materials, with everything he was supposed to talk to, he would ask me. So I have to be prepared to answer. Um, and because of that, Every day was just a barrage of texts and calls. And in between that, like, pag pagkasama kami, pag nag-closing ako sa kanya over lunch, lagi siyang yung mga ngamusta. Mas alam pa niya nangyayari sa buhay ko, sa plans ko about I, plans of going to law school or further study. So he gives advice. Pag may problema ako sa pamilya ko, uh, siya yung nilalapitan ko. Pag nagkasakit ako, may point na nagkasakit ako as in dok- doktor kasi yung kapatid niya. As in he monitors pa how I am. So he's the way he is I'm, with his daughters. I felt like I was also his daughter at some point, and I always tell um, yung mga anak niya sila ayka na you know I will also always consider them a family. To, they're, they're family to me because his their father treated me like a child, and whatever they need, whatever they ask for, I will always be here for that family because yeah, it, I will. Sec Jesse will. Oh, I mean, as of now, like, he's a defining person in my life. Everything I did, it was really because of that guidance and direction that he gave me for mm-hmm. the last nine years ago. Well, yeah, in, in your answer, you outline like, two things. The first one is a minor one, and the second one is a, is a bit of a larger one that I'd, I'd like to dive into. The first one is, there's that weird conversation you learn how to do as a lawyer, you know, where you're trying to appear clean, where you raise your voice when you're talking to someone who's trying to whisper to you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a skill that all lawyers pick up oh. eventually. Because mm. you have the court staff do it to you. You know, you're trying to make bulong like a very simple question, and then the court mm. staff will repeat back to you loudly what you say, mm. uh, just so that no, everyone knows that hey nothing under the table is happening that's yeah, a skill yeah. i think yeah. all lawyers need to have yeah. uh, the second thing that you outlined uh which is the one that's obviously more important is you know this image that of a public servant who wakes up early and is prepared for his day you know that's not the that's not the image that people have generally of government mm-hmm. you know? like me as a lawyer you know you're kind of an emissary for the legal system which you uh as a byproduct are able to get your professional fees from you know you exist mm-hmm. as a lawyer because of the system that you represent mm-hmm. uh and so uh what like how do you interface with people who talk to you about government in ter- terribly negatively you know uh, especially given your background you have you had such an amazing <laughs> father figure in the person of sec jesse robredo mm, no it's really a struggle for me honestly well they won't see me but i i'm very yellow <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much affiliated with that, with the, what I, roughly I call them. I call us as we are labeled Dilawan, right? Mm-hmm. And um, 
it's I don't know like I was surprised na it would be an issue because diba parang we'd always assume that since it is a democracy you can just freely express your opinion and um, say what you think to call out your government pero parang now it's become an issue of the Dilawans and the DDS parang ganyan and um, right now it's very hard for me because um I, ca- I came from a government, which, syempre, a lot of people will not agree with me. <laughs> um, but the government I worked for, parang, di ba, we, we, we valued people's opinions as much as, you know, we wanted, we, we always tried to listen to everyone. Um, but now people, uh, parang, because of the color yellow, it's now, di ba, affiliated with being an elitist. Or um, parang mabagal da, wala nagagawa, makupat, ganyan. So parang, naka, I don't know. So in terms of your question of how it affects now how I relate to other people politically, honestly, like right now, I am relating to people within my political color. I haven't branched out outside because parang if, online, when I try to reach out, it becomes an endless... Pointless debate. Like, I try engaging people who have different opinions as me, pero hindi, hindi ko mahanapan ng, ano, ng pagkakaagrihan natin on basic facts or concepts na nahirapan ako. So, ayun, baka ikaw mas may experience ka. Um, pero, as of now, honestly, I've been relating with, it's, I've, been, I've been in my echo chamber, which is so sad. Um, and the stuff I've been doing, it's really like, in, within that echo chamber, so as much as I want to diversify, I haven't, I, I haven't been able to. Mm. But uh, like, say for example, you already outlined naman your political color. Now, like, what do you like? So aside from uh, the general impression that people have, yung pagiging elitista, yung pagiging mabagal raw Mm-mm. ng uh, isang ano, ng uh, the party that you represent. Uh, what do you think are the grievances? Let's say the specific grievances that people have, like in your own words. Ako tingin ko yung pakiramdam nila hindi yung naging pagbabago nung panahon ni uh, President Aquino hindi umabot sa kanila na parang at hindi ko alam um, kasi syempre yung exposure ko ay na ante akala ko yung conditional cash transfer was meant for the poorest population na that reached it. Um, pero Yung nakakagulat, parang yung feeling pa rin ng mga tao, despite all the numbers, despite all the gains, hindi sila narinig, hindi sila, hindi naramdaman ng gobyerno yung hinanaing nila. So, yun yung assumption ko. Um, ang hindi ko din alam, and baka you can correct my theory, Rami, kasi when we were in government, we really came from a certain circle. I, the people that I worked with in the office, we were in the office of the secretary group. They were my batchmates in Ateneo. <laughs> they were. I mean, we, we all originally came from Ateneo and UP. Um, I heard well within the um, like people working in the yung mga plantilla, yung mga career positions. It became like parang internally also para nagiging na reinforce yung ganong dating na yung gobyerno para lang sa mayaman ganyan. So I don't know. Um, baka you can give more insights on that. Because from my perspective, that's how I assumed. Yung naging problema kaya natalo nung last election. Kaya ayaw ng continuity. Kasi feeling nila naging, naging exclusive din daw yung, ano, yung gobyerno. Pero syempre, that's open to subject to discussion and debate. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, if I had to articulate it, like what what really undid the Aquino administration from being able to mm. successfully field its uh, continuity candidate, no, it really was the perfect storm, right? There was a while where there was uh, no representation or no meaningful representation from the Visayas, and mm. it really did feel like a lot of the projects of the national government were being apportioned to Metro Manila, and on top of that, yung yes, the yung pagiging elitista. Right, uh, that was something that, as that acutely, I can feel as a Cebuano. Like going, uh-huh. like the the process of going from Cebu to Manila and yeah. understanding that there's this whole power structure that existed. I have very little chance of being able to penetrate or influence in any yeah. meaningful way. Right, um, I can understand how that might have dissatisfied some people. I looked at that and decided for myself that, notwithstanding the tertiary the tertiary position that I would have vis-a-vis that structure, that I was satisfied with the way the government was running, right? Uh, but I can understand why my fellow uh, Bisaya-speaking uh, mm-hmm. people might have concluded differently. And in fact, many of my family did conclude differently, mm-hmm. right? And I'm, I'm not talking about like some hypothetical, yeah, yeah. like my mother voted for Duterte, and she, oh, hey. she will, if given the chance, she will vote for him again, right? Uh on top of that, I might add also that no continuity candidate since EDSA has won. Mm, that's right? true. Maybe that's that's also something about that's to do true. with our system. Yeah. Right? I think though that I, I will call attention to that one particular thing you said where there's like this disagreement as to even basic facts. Like alama yung uh naging issue pa yung flagging ng commission on audit recently. Ah, and yeah. That was really <laughs> painful to watch. Yeah. Kasi parang yeah. what <laughs> and like I, I don't know talaga like regardless of your political color it's so hard for me to understand why are we questioning COA eh, ba, the basic structure in our law as a, ba, even if you alam mo na COA even in a company ba, you have an audit system <laughs> kasi you want to make sure money is appropriate correctly so I parang to even fathom that this is going to be an issue, an issue now parang Wow, what what what's happening? What happened? Yon, yun lang. <laughs> mm. Well, uh, you know that that's a whole kind of worms, and maybe we'll discuss yeah, yeah. it a bit more yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. But um, so uh, maybe you can walk me through the process, because uh, Sec Jesse died in a in a very tragic way, mm-hmm. and so maybe you could tell me a little bit about uh, what that was like. Because you know these are big, powerful, influential men, and to see one pass away in the way that Jesse did must have been, uh, I, I, you know, I'm trying to think of a word, but strange is the only thing that comes to mind, no? Yeah. Para siyang ano, no? Para siyang teleserye. I mean, I don't know if you followed it that week. Diba kasi holiday yun, eh. Uh, nag-start yun, 18, tapos sunod-sunod yung holiday nung 20, 18 to 25. Kasi nung, so just to give you the background of what happened, diba? Like, August 17, I will remember that day. Um, We were, Magkasama kami ng Sekjesi sa Krami para nag-wrap up yung last meeting namin, 3 p.m. Tapos we had a staff who, former staff, um, si Boyet, he was our head executive assistant in DLG for a year, pero he had to leave for Harvard. So he was in Manila. So si Sekjesi noon, nung last meeting niya, kinukulit niya ako. Sabi niya, Joanne, di ba mag-dinner tayo with Boyet? Ganyan. So like in our head, magkikita kami for dinner again. Uwi siya ng maaga. Kasi parang long weekend mode na kami. And then we had dinner until 11 p.m. seven to, And for Sec Jesse, that was long. Ha? Kasi Sec Jesse, ano yan, very efficient. Like, he, he, he'd prefer to have meetings one or two hours kasi gusto niya umuwi sa mga anak niya. 
Tapos, so 11pm, naghiwalay kami, he was calling me pa then, nung pa-uwi, kasi he was confirming ano itsura ng schedule niya the next day. Tapos the next day, 6.30am, he, uh, he called me, um, he was flying into Cebu, he took the first flight. Tapos, he requested, nakiusap siya very apologetically, na bayaran yung Meralco bill niya, kasi daw mapuputulan na sila, nakalimutan niyang bayaran. So, yan yung to sa kanya that day. Um, and then, by afternoon, I I updated him. I was, ganda ka ako, bakit hindi siya nag-reply? And check Jetsi talaga, kasi mabilis siya mag-reply. Um, so, I was waiting for his reply for an hour, and then, biglang, medyo, ako naman, di ko naisip na mangyayari yun. Like, in my head, ah, baka busy pa siya, kakalanding lang, whatever. Um, but like, we had the former security who was on study leave who called me saying, kaya tolong oversec Jesse. Kasi raw, someone um, in Masbate, a PNP in Masbate called him saying na nag-crash yung plane. So, as in like, Alam yung bayang shit. Is this for real? Like feeling ko I was dreaming. Um, I I I was driving. Then I was going to Krame that day. Um, tumigil ako on the side of Santolan and Edsa just to like process that information for the discussion. And my phone started turning. Na like cabinet secretaries are calling me. The media were calling me. And I can't talk to the media. Every time the media called me, I had to drop the call because I can't issue any statement. And then that whole five, because we were searching for him for six days or five five days, I think. Parang every day it was just like a ano, parang telenovela na may mga tumatawag pa sa akin, sinasabi na nakita na nung si Jesse na umalon siya sa isang isla sa whatever in a province somewhere. Um, Nagka-amnesia siya. Mga ganyang kwento. And like, I'm Parang yung position ko noon was I can't share those kinds of information to the family because it would give them false hope. Pero ako, personally, I was trying to hope na he will emerge from that plane crash alive. Um, but when, because um, the, the EA of the president was my friend, um, when he called me na that morning, I think of 23, I think it was a 7 a.m., he said, John, nakita na namin. And I think Sekmar also called me. Um, that was the only time it hit me na wala na talaga siya he, he's dead <laughs> um, yun so that was that was in general feeling ko that whole time was it felt like a dream and even up to now I after 9 years I don't think I've ever processed um, that experience um, kaya I was talking to some friends who worked with me in DLG and I think we should do a processing session because even them it was just doing one task one work after another and we haven't really grieved, I feel, um, for his loss. So we just keep on posting random stuff, trying to remember him. But that whole experience, it's still a blur for me. <laughs> so, like, you know, but the demands of the public service, they, they sucked you back in. No, you, you continue with the DLG, notwithstanding this horrible loss, and you wound up working for Mar Rojas. Mm. Another, arguably, and this is, this is, this is I have to <laughs> say it very carefully. <laughs> Right, arguably, an, also a great man. Right, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I have to say that because I have, I'm acknowledging a bit of how uh, uh, divisive of mm-hmm. a name Mara has has become as a result of the last presidential election. No, uh, so uh, what was he like? Mar is, in one word, Mar is a technocrat. And I say that in a good way. <laughs> uh, I just as a background, I don't personally know Mar. My family knows Mar. I know Mar via Sec Jesse. The only reason I stayed with Mar was because 
the whole time I was in DILG, Sec Jesse always said that Mar Rojas has to be our president. Because just, I don't know if everyone knows, ha, but Sec Jesse talaga initially, when Mar was preparing for the 2016 campaign, Mar was eyeing the presidency. Sec Jesse was already part of that team. He was, taon ni Mar si Jesse. Um, and that was the reason I stayed, uh, because I was curious for, <laughs> of why Sec Jesse believed in Mar so much. So I became the EA of Mar, and true enough, and I worked with him. And I, I didn't mention it pala, but I also joined him in the senatorial campaign where he lost. Ganun ako kabilib sa kanya. And nakita ko kung bakit bilib na bilib sa kanya si Sec Jesse. Kasi Sec Jesse is also a technocrat, eh. Um, in terms of... You know, seeing outcomes by numbers, making sure everything is planned. You know, because ang si Mar kahit mayaman yan, kuripot yan. As in, hindi yan maglalabas ng pera pag magkasama kami, ganong level. Um, and si Sagyesi, ganun din. Pareho sila in that way, na in terms of work ethics, belief in how to change the system by making it efficient. They were the same, pero syempre iba sila ng background eh. Kasi as we know, Mar it comes from a privileged family. And people, um, as, para nakita yon as a bad thing, um, in terms of you know being an elitist. But for me, Mar is a technocrat, and his heart is really in the right place. Like hanggang hanga ako sa kanya na pag naririnig ko siya, parang naririnig ko si Sec Jesse, kasi pag tinanong mo siya kung ano yung tama o mali, malino yun kay Mar. Eh. And kay Mar walang gray. As in kay Mar, pag 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 may kailangan desisyonan na mahirap pag alam niya kung ano yung tama yun yung gagawin niya uh, yun kaya kahit na nung ina, sinabi niya sa akin na nung inaya nila ako ulit na tatakbo siya first senatorial hindi ko matanggihan eh kasi parang hindi ko na parang naniniwala talaga ako dun sa tao nasayang lang kasi not everyone saw it um, yeah. yeah and i think But, So oh. to to address that specifically, like uh, not everyone saw it. If if you could articulate perhaps why you think he lost in those elections, maybe just give us a briefer. Hmm. There are a lot of people in the campaign, but eh. this is from just my personal perspective. Um, I don't know if it. I I really think it's. Uh, a comms game, di ba? Like, a national campaign. Parang, laging confused sila on who Mar Rojas should be portrayed in the general public's eye. Parang, di ba, if you see yung nag-start siya when he became the number one senator, it was Mr. Palenque. And then, VP, he became Mr. Padyak. And it just became, that all the, well, all the campaigns I saw, it was always just trying to figure out how to make Mar more relatable, more masa. Pero parang in this game, in the last campaign, people can see right through you. And Mar, we have to admit, hindi masa si Mar. Kasi even the way he speaks, ilonggo kasi siya eh. Iba siya mag-Tagalog. Ang the way mag-isip si Mar, ilonggo. So kapag pinag-Tagalog mo siya, nagmumukhang, nagsasound weird. Kasi sanay siya mag-ilonggo English. So parang, Always trying to try a rebrand or remarket into someone approachable, but honestly, I don't think he is because he's a technocrat. And ang theory ko, which will never be proven, kung ilabas na lang yung totoong Mar na mabait na anak, mabait na ay ngayon tatay na siya, you will see that amidst all the mukhang masungit, amidst all the feeling elitista, soplado, Mar Rojas is a good 
person, a good Filipino, a good leader, which dahil na mask na nung lahat nung parang lahat nung preconceived notions sa kanya, hindi na nakita yung totoong loob niya na he has a good heart and he really believes in the Filipinos and the Philippines. Yun. Mm. Well, like, um, and this is in acknowledgement also of, like, many people will disagree with that, right? For, like, yeah. for one reason or another, uh, you know, like, the Yolanda became a thing even though DILG was able to liquidate naman. I, I was listening to the debates and I remember that that answer that he was saying 98% of everything that the DILG has received in the way of funding has been liquidated, right? Mm-hmm. Which I really, which I which I think really encapsulates a lot about, you know, your description of him as a technocrat. Mm-hmm. But in order that this uh, podcast not become a discussion of the great yeah, men yeah, in yeah. your life, yeah, yeah, and yeah. we go back to the topic <laughs> that is you, uh, <laughs> um, what is your opinion of Philippine politics uh, these days? We already touched on it previously, but let's address the question squarely. Honestly, now, Rami, it's so hard to be hopeful about Philippine politics. I really can't say anything uh, wise or, uh, I don't know. Right now, my personal play, personal, where I am right now is it's so hard to be hopeful about it. Um, there are pockets of things that personally I'm trying to do which is to try to hopefully we have we elect a good leader regardless of the political color. Um, I hope we can go beyond the the loud and I'm also guilty of this. Diba? Like if we talk amongst friends, ah, didas yan or dilaw yan. It's become just a labeling thing and we fail to see what the underlying context is. Um, so in terms of what I think Philippine politics will look like. I'm not very hopeful, but I still hope that we can try to figure it out, <laughs> um, whatever the next step will be, because ultimately we're a democracy. It's an electoral process. Whoever wins is the president or is the leader. So we will respect the process. But in the meantime, we try to work to campaign for whoever we think the best candidate will be. Mm-hmm. And this this question is a bit, I don't know, direct, but it, mm. it, it springs directly from the previous question. Is the reason why you didn't go back into government because of your opinion of politics or are they unrelated? I tried. I applied in the public attorney's office. Uh, just full disclosure. I But they, I didn't get a call back. Uh, my position on was when I was uh, trying to figure out what to do after the firm there's, I mean, which is consistent with my premise that there's a lot you can do with government work. Even ang premise ko when I applied in the public attorney's office, regardless of which office I am, before kasi I was at the top, di ba, OSEC, we were at that, I mean, we were policy talaga. Pero there's we, there's work to be done um, in terms of litigating for the poor, those who have no access to justice, but I wasn't accepted. So that's why the the, the reason I'm in the non-government sector, in the, in the civil society sector, was because I wasn't accepted. But if given a chance, I would go back to government, regardless of my political color. But the question is, if my political color is an issue to whoever is hiring because you will clearly see from my resume that my principals are leaders of the Liberal Party. So I don't know if it is an issue or will become an issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you eventually, you were actually, you you were in the halls of power, no? 
right? That's something that's very unique about your experience, despite being a fresh grad, right? Um, you know, I'm pretty sure that a lot of you sex, you know, had to de- had to defer to you because of your proximity to Jesse Robredo before. And I remember also the time in uh, was it civil procedure when uh, Attorney Tranquil was like, "Mataas yun class." <laughs> when you when you told us your salary grade, I still remember that years later. Um, why is it that you felt the need to add uh, a law degree on top of what should have been an, a very good skill set, having been at that operated at that level? It was a personal choice because I felt that my skill set then, um, which was really to be the executive assistant of a secretary, I. There was no way for me to be my own person because um, my career would be dependent with my principal's career. And if Sec Jesse were alive, I would have stayed and pursued. If he had other visions to run for high office, I would have followed him wherever. But um, at the back of my head, I knew I needed to um, find my own place. And the law made sense um, ever since I was young. I've always known I wanted to become a lawyer in a delay. Lang. Um, and it was really practic- a practical choice because I was so bad at math and science. I like to talk. <laughs> I like to read. <laughs> I have opinions. And it felt like, okay, checklist. I can be a lawyer. Um, so, and then, syempre, with that, like, very uh, child, from that childhood dream, when I was in government, I saw the value of being a lawyer because one of our uh, lawyers, Sinina, who's now the dean of Atene Dinaga, such a good lawyer, I can't decide anything unless I confer with Nina because I was always afraid. Na, ano ba to? Baka makasuhan ako. Baka, I don't know if I'm violating. I mean, di ba, kang, if you don't know the law in government, para kang nangangapaparate on what the next step would be or how to proceed with something. Kasi lagi akong takot eh. Na, na I step I, I do something that is beyond that is wrong by the uh, by the terms of the law. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell, the reason I um, decided to go to law school was a practical choice, and um, on a personal level, it was trying to figure out what's the next step for me um, in terms of pursuing a career in the, the development field. Yun. Mm. But did did uh, that lawyer being becoming a lawyer address the weaknesses or the perceived weaknesses that you had previously, or did it magnify them? Because the fear, parang hindi yan alis eh, parang na, yeah. like for me now, it's like times ten whatever it was before. Yeah. <laughs> Alam mo, ang tingin ko, I don't know if you can validate my thing. Parang ang nimekin na law degree or a or a attorney in your name is lakas ng loob na parang I don't really know if my parang may ang dagdag na skill set ko um, is the fact na may idea ka of what's legal, illegal, how to do it kasi diba yung procedural aspect. Um, pero in terms of yung usual trajectory diba of going into law, lagi ni sa mga tao, it's doing litigation. Um, that's why I did litigation for a while. Um, pero parang I realized, ay, hindi pala eh. Parang even if I became a lawyer, babalik pa rin ako sa gusto kong gawin, which is doing policy. So yung question mo kung parang may nadagdag ba siya, I really think it's confidence, lakas ng loob. No, pag kinasuhan mo ako, kaya, kaya kong gumawa ng sarili kong pleading mag-appear in court or kumausap ng kaibigan na mag-appear for me pag may nagdemanda sa akin. Ayun, I think... <laughs> Okay. Okay. So, it, it somewhat addressed that previous concern, no? Um, 
So you you are actually I think there's something that you haven't mentioned, but you're part of a human rights organization. You want to talk about that for a quick mm. second? Well, yeah, I was in the human rights center. I, I entered second year college. Yeah, we were blockmates na pala nun. Um, kasi I just as a context, the reason I entered human rights was because I was really like after first year, I failed stat kon eh. For Sam. So, second Sam, I was about to fail. I was, I felt na shit, baka ma, ma, mabumagsak din ako sa oblikon. And pag nabumagsak ako doon, kick out na ako. Um, human rights, I was trying to figure out if I wanted to do, pursue that law. Kasi one year pa lang naman, kung ayaw ko, hindi alis ako. Pero human rights, I joined the human rights center just to find that grounding again. Kasi di ba pag, uh, di ba Rami, kapag nag-aaral ka ng law, parang yun lang yung mundo mo eh. Wala ka ibang ginagawa, eh, parang detach ka from the world. So I became part of it and I'm very, I'm a very proud alumni up to now. I'm still a volunteer lawyer for both the Human Rights Center and the Legal Services Center. Um, but because of my litigation background, I'm now more active in the legal, legal, the legal aid of Ateneo. Kasi doon mas easier to, uh, parang pag nag-message sila na they need a volunteer lawyer, I, I can accept cases now um, in my personal capacity. So, mm-hmm. Well, because uh, human rights has kind of become this loaded term, which, which mm. you know, I, I did, I, I, that's something I personally don't understand. I can understand how uh, maybe a lay person might misconstrue. But the fact that human rights as a concept in our political discourse becomes so uh, taboo, Let's say, yeah. that, you know, like this, a statement like I am 100 percent for the human rights of uh, whatever protected mm-hmm. class of people have you. Right. Uh, whether that be Lumads or uh, other indigenous peoples. Right. Uh, that's suddenly somehow contentious. So um, maybe let's begin first with that question. What is this popular conception of human rights and how does it differ from uh, the state of human rights as it exists in law? <laughs> Under our constitution, um, we have the Bill of Rights, uh, which are, how do you call it? Invocable rights? What's the correct term, Rami? Um, I mean, Enforceable. you can go to court. Enforceable. Bagsak ka na sa resit. Yeah, so these are um, uh, enforceable rights in contrast to, diba, article, yung social justice provisions which you need to have an enabling law. Pero yung human rights, these are rights na, syempre may philosophical con- concept ka doon na these are rights that as a human person, I I deserve very roughly, diba? Parang kaya ka siya invocable in court eh. If someone violates it, I can go to court and say my human rights was violated. Now, in terms of relating it to the state of human rights now, I don't have the figures here, but diba, as we know, like the news says it, it's a pretty sad state now. Um, my exposure to it was when I was in the Human Rights Center, we did, some, we did a lot of paralegal trainings on the rights of indigenous peoples or labor's rights or even on the height of the extrajudicial killings with the paralegal trainings on due process and how to um, how to fight for your rights if someone if a police comes to your house and says you're on the list. Pero yung napansin ko, yung very specific example of one paralegal training we did in Quezon City, yung mga tao, they don't see the point of invoking it. Um, which I can't judge them eh, kasi yung audience namin, parang when I, when, ang sila, when they were sharing, they feel safer now than they did 
10 years ago under the Aquino or Marcos government kasi the streets are safer. So for them, pointless na naman to invoke these rights because now there are no more um, alleged drug addicts or um, um, sellers on the streets. Um, so I don't know if it because human rights is such a parang high concept na or like it's parang it, it sounds so academic diba parang paano mo tatagalugin yung karapatang pantao um pero to be able to fight for it you, you need to have some sense of idea of the procedural rules to process so it becomes intimidating and parang based on my experience parang yung tanong ng mga tao why bother it doesn't affect my livelihood um it doesn't affect whether or not i can put food on the table diba parang it's it's malayo siya sa bituka basically that's why um i it ha, it appears to not be the top of the priority of people or it appears to be irrelevant um in some parts of our society well the the way that i always try to explain it is like when when you respect these rights you create a you create a society of tolerance or at least you set out on that journey towards that society mm-hmm. of tolerance you know where when you cannot uh, you are not capable of doing harm to the person in front of you right and you have to find a way to coexist with this person you get something like the basic rules that exist in human rights and mm-hmm. if you don't if you can't be bothered then that kind of logic is slippery Right. I understand also that the level of respect of human rights, uh, there's that there's a provision in the uh, in the International Covenant on Economic, Social, Social and Cultural Rights and the ICCP. uh, No, I think it's I believe it's specific to the ICSCR where Mm -hmm. it's it it basically the the rights of human, the, the, the level of human rights compliance will be set off against the individual country's capacity to be able to provide and respect those rights. Mm. Right. Uh, so, you know, it, I'm not saying that just because we have human rights, now we, you know, that there's this unattainable bar that somehow doesn't adapt to society. It is possible to adjust the bar down, given what our institutions are capable of providing. But to disregard them entirely, you have a situation uh, like Afghanistan, right? Like now the Taliban is in the street and they're making women wear burqas again, right? Yeah. Uh, which not, well, it would be fine, but many of these women you know, have gotten accustomed to modern Afghanistan and they, they like being able to not wear a niqab mm. or not wear a burqa, mm. right? And so these are the kinds of things that, uh, you know, that you discard when you discard human rights. And that's something that I always say and I always I always use that example particularly because uh, I think it's funny when people hear that I'm Arab and they hear me using the Taliban as an example. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I forget that you are Arab and you're Rami. <laughs> Um, so why, why do you think like it has become, why why do you think people suddenly found the state of human rights, uh, enforcement or the state of the, rather their respect for human rights suddenly became too burdensome, right? Like why is it that that suddenly, uh, was a problem that society said, you know, this is something we can't be bothered to deal with and so we won't. Right? I don't know. It's a theory ko, Rami, and tell me if um, you agree or not. Feeling ko kasi, yung height of 
um, di ba 1940s ba nag-start yung Universal Declaration of Human Rights yung um, with Roosevelt yeah. or whatever so it was such a magic word di ba we came from wars we came from I mean di ba the whole world was trying to figure out what the hell human rights is and tayo rin di ba like uh, when martial law period di ba like even in the constitution you have the international law to protect you whatever parang it's a it was such a buzzword magic word and because it was so high up there now we wanted it so bad when you realize na oy it's not magic pala um i can't i mean i'm so disappointed because despite all the promise of the universal declaration of human rights or under our constitution every day i it's not something i can tell a police oh this is my right to due process give that to me and to do, to do that, diba? you always have... Eh, get, you lawyers in the Philippines are so glorified. Because eh. if you start using the word due process, rule of law, parang they feel like you're legitimate. But uh, true enough, as you know, diba, that you don't need a lawyer to invoke human rights. Pero because of the intimidating structure, parang a regular person can't just invoke it. And because of that disappointment, I think, I feel, that's my theory, people just... I'm so disappointed. I don't want to bother with it anymore. Parang, di ba, in any case, kahit sa pag-ibig, di ba? <laughs> disappointed mm-hmm. na ako. Ayoko na. Uh, whatever, I'll just be on my own. Leave me alone. I'll do my thing. Do your thing. Parang ganun. So that's my theory. I don't know if you agree. <laughs> and very simple well, yun. <laughs> well, I think, I think, ha, like, the reason why uh, it doesn't really connect, like, so, it has a lot to do with the way Filipinos relate to power. Right? Mm-hmm. So, when when we when we think of power, we probably think of something that approximates God, right? Like, or at least the popular notion of God, right? And it's hard for us to think that there is this powerful being that exists in our lives, the state, mm-hmm. right? That has this thing, this incredible power to influence our lives, and it would not use that to influence our lives for the better, right? Because essentially, due process is just a guarantee that you know the state will not do you harm right mm. and that it is capable of doing that harm so it's it's that it's that weird duality that they both exist mm. at the same time that ability to do harm and that it will listen to you before it does it so inherently that is a mismatch with you know our our conception of what power is right if you have this incredible power why don't you help me to have a better life yeah, right yeah, yeah. why do you merely leave me at the mercy of society and only step in when something horrible is happening yeah, <laughs> but so it, parang yung what you're saying is all, reinforces my theory na we want it to be a magic wand, ba? To save us. Yeah. But in truth, we realize na, I know it's not. <laughs> it's not a, <laughs> yeah. it's it, not it a prevents... genie that can get my wish. Yes, yes, diba? definitely. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but there are structures of law that, that do kind of approximate that. You know, like the four piece, right? Which, of mm. course, is like another very... Uh, which was which was passed into law by Duterte, so it was obviously mm-hmm. useful enough by the government that it stopped mm-hmm. merely being a regulation, but uh, became an actual law, mm-hmm. right? There are ways that the system can do that, but for those things that are truly urgent to society, such as the prevalence of the drug problem or criminality, mm-hmm. then suddenly the way the law works is a problem, which is strange, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which is strange, yeah. yeah. So um, let's 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 ease off though. From the particularly heavier topics, and mm. so um, you, Joanne, you're actually the first lawyer that I've had on the I podcast. Mean, yeah, I, I <laughs> and, you always invite your lawyer friends. Talaga, so ni iba. 
like doctors, engineers. Like, kasi ako nababore ako if I talk law. Eh. <laughs> my point, my point. Although I miss talking law like this in a inuman conversational way. I don't know, like, like naman nalami, di ba? Pag nagkukentuhan tayo, it's like very theoretical academic. I kind of miss it. So maybe, I don't know, you might want to consider more lawyers on board. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to I have to find someone who's DDS who's willing to come on for next that week. That's <laughs> super interesting, no? Like, yeah, I'd, I'd listen to that, honestly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, but we, we've touched on a lot of the relatively heavier stuff. And one of the reasons what I wanted to invite you on is because, uh, John, you are a very, let's say, you're, you're, you leave a very strong impression, right? You're, you're, a, you're a large personality, right? Okay. Which, which was something that uh, we, we all experienced. Just you told me that. Yes. You know, like, I mean, you're the only woman in the, in the classroom who'd be called Madame, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but na akong madam I mean, you, they see you in a press con with Jesse Robredo enough, they'll believe anything, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, bosses ko rin, Rami. I have a bit, alam ba, yung bosses ko is loud eh. So, I don't know, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but I get that all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, but uh, not, it's not a bad thing, it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to ask you, kasi particularly, what is it like to be both a woman and a lawyer in the Philippines. Because being, uh, there are certain preconceived notions about the way women are supposed to be in society and the way they're supposed to relate to other people. And then there's the way a lawyer is supposed to be, right? Would mm. you say that those two things are at odds with each other? Are they in harmony with each other? Like, how, how, do, how does that shake out? Hmm. Quick answer is, I feel like now experiencing it, it's at odds. Because <laughs> like, um... Correct me if I am wrong, ah. Parang may there's a general conception of how a Filipina woman is or should be. I'm not the stereotype, typical, honestly. Um, I'm too loud. I'm too opinionated. The typical Filipina woman is a Maria Clara, you know, someone who I I don't wanna I don't wanna say that it's bad, ah. I mean, pero di ba yung um, generally your tahimik or your ano you. You keep to yourself, whatever. Um, and that concept of a Maria Clara is in contrast to how a lawyer is expected to be. Diba? Like, lawyers, we're naturally, op- we're naturally, we're naturally opinionated. We have opinions about everything. And our clients expect us to be like that. Because when you defend, you have to defend your clients, diba? So, kahit na alam mong medyo tagilid, um, you have to fight for it because that's your responsibility as a lawyer. So as a woman lawyer, it's a bit difficult, I find. Because um, pag babae, pag lalaki ka na strong, opinionated, ah, ang galing. Pag babae, you're a bitch. Or um, you're, you're too loud. You're, so yun, that's, that's what I'm also trying to figure out um, on my own. And like, ako, I'm at that point na... Um, Di ko lang, we've had this conversation, Ramina. Parang, ito ako eh, if you don't, I mean, wala. And I, baka kasi I'm fortunate enough to, I have worked in a firm na we have very strong women lawyers. And uh, we only have like, siguro 80% are women. So in the lunchroom, we can be ourselves. Pero I don't know, like now I'm based in the province. Parang lagi sinasabi sa akin ng mga tita ko, Ano ka kasi, masyado kang, masyado kang maraming opinion sa buhay. Parang, basta pati gender, pag I feel like nagiging sexist yung remarks ng family family ko, I'll call them out. And I call people out. 
pero like they're not used to it being like that or I you know yeah and so it's at odds basically with being a woman in the profession is it's a bit difficult to reconcile I can imagine though it's a bit difficult for you in the province particularly because <laughs> like the dating pool in the province is so much smaller like I really remember like when I came to the when I came back to Cebu to help out with the family and to assume the various responsibilities that uh, you know were incumbent upon me as the only lawyer that was in the family right I remember jumping into the dating pool and I'm like, I'm not interested in this typical Provinciana uh, girl. Because, like, you know, I grew up around strong, independent women in yeah, Manila. Yeah. So that's like, that's like, that's all that's yeah. on the menu in Ateneo. You know what I mean? Menu? I never did it. Wala akong dinate sa Ateneo, ah. In fair. Wala akong dinate. Alam mo yan, Rami. I don't know. Anyway, ikaw. Pero ikaw, do you talk about your personal life here? I mean, you found your. I mean, you 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 met someone in Cebu, de ba? So that's a uh, you found someone. In the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, she's from Ateneo also. So, ah, okay, 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 okay. So parang inahanap ko lang kung ano yung like whatever whatever my taste was before. I, that's what I took. Anyway, <laughs> I'm the exception to that kasi eh. I see you as an exception to men, men in general, ah. Uh, you're not afraid of strong women, eh. And you're what? Siguro mabibilang ko eh, sa dalili ko ilan yung kailala kong ganyang mga lalaki who are not afraid of strong women. So I don't know. Um, baka mali, sa circle ko hindi ko pa sila nakikita or whatever. Pero you're an exception eh. So, I don't know. Ilang kayo? 2%? <laughs> well, so, but how do you I know that though? Like, like given that you, ha- you, you need to have that kind of guy, like a guy... Uh, who is not afraid of your uh, the impression that you uh, mm. generate that you that you give to other people, right? Does it make it difficult for you to find love? Alam mo namin mo kwento ko jan. I mean, so for, since law school, parang mga foreigner yata na date ko. And I'm talking about my ano na, personal life. Um, for some reason, parang foreigners. Um, I don't know, like being like being strong is not an issue. I tried to date. I wait. May dinit abang. Oh, well, my first boyfriend was Filipino, high school to college. Puppy love lang yun. Um, <laughs> uh, pero may, after law school, I, I think I dated two Filipinos. Pero like it didn't. It was and it's so weird. Like alam mo na I I tried the uh, dating apps. Pag nasa bumble ako. Which I turned off, by the way, because it was so stressful. Parang wala makita lang nila na lawyer ako. Biglang ay attorney ka pala. And then biglang nagiging sobrang pakiut na wala ka bang gusto ng tanong na iba na mas interesting. Parang and basam alam nilang lawyer. Parang the conversation now becomes weird. And I haven't hmm. found anyone na like. Kaya hindi ako nagmo-move from Bumble to like other device you can move to WhatsApp, Telegram. Parang ang hirap mag-transition to that because like wala hindi ko makita yung interesting conversation and baka malas lang ako. I don't know pero like I'm at that point na edi eh, ko wala akong ma-meet carry lang. Like I have my mm. I'm happy being single. Um mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Short answer mahirap mag-date. Basically, lalo na pandemic pa. <laughs> yes, I mean that was always. That's why I'm really glad I found my girlfriend before the pandemic. Hit. <laughs> uh, pero like if if I the, the one thing that that burns the question that burns at the front of my mind you now when when you when you say that is that what does it say about Filipino men, right? That 
you know, you're this, you're, you're, you're this beautiful, uh, strong, uh, opinionated woman, and you can't for the life of you find someone who uh, interests you, right? So, like, w- what is it about our general demeanor that, you know, what, what kind of conclusions can you draw from that, ba? Alam mo bang male audience dito? Gagalit sila sa akin. No, most of them are male, actually. Oh, <laughs> I have this. Okay. <laughs> well, go lang. Wala, wala ka namang well, kilala. Well, eh, whatever, di ba? Pero, eh, ang hirap i-articulate. Pero, I feel like Filipino men have to be more like you, Rami. <laughs> I mean, in a sense na, um, you have to, I mean, Hindi ko ma-figure out kasi, and I will digress like a bit before answering your question. We have very strong women in general, eh. Like, our, diba? like a lot of our, our mothers are very influential people in our lives, I'd presume. Um, so we're used to strong women. So yun yung hindi ko ma-figure out. Why is there a mismatch between... So, yung what you're a woman that you're used to in the environment of having strong women to someone na uh, transition from being used to that as someone you will date so i don't know if it's a like my psychological thing bayon na dahil i want to date someone like your mother or your sister or whoever so i don't know and i, I don't know if um like part of it also parang dahil na intimidate na as you would like to say something, based on my experience, ah, dahil na-intimidate na sila by the attorney title, um, yung, yung parang sinisecond guess na everything, yung the way they think or what they're about to say, which becomes weird. Um, so I don't know if it's a confidence thing also that you have to be more confident with yourself. I mean, kung mali sabihin mo or if I think your opinion is wrong or my opinion is wrong, we can talk about it. Pero... Because of the fact that there's a intimidation, lack of confidence factor in my experience with Filipino men I've dated, um, nagiging ano na siya, nagiging barrier na to whatever, to seeing if there's something there. Kasi wala na kaming mapag-usapan. <laughs> Kasi baka feeling niya, i-debate ko siya. Hindi ko naman siya din-debate. Bait-bait ko nga eh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh- but I, I think uh, personally, like the way that, like, so I grew up with a single mom, like, and mm-hmm. very strong personality. So I was very used to having a woman disagree with me. And I was very used to being, to living my life in, in fear of a woman. <laughs> <laughs> so parang, why wouldn't, uh, like, like for me and also, like, but I got, I got my mother's big personality, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, although to a lesser degree, I think. Uh, because my mother is wow, that's a whole other story. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I met her that, yeah, you I did. Did you win? Yeah, yeah, I have a picture pa eh. Like did you know picture pa na mamo. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. So the thing is you said, like, why wouldn't you want someone who would call you out on your bullshit? Because but like and I I've heard this from my guy friends. Eh. Like gusto ko lang ng babae na nasa bahay lang you know like or you know like or you know alam mo like sumuporta siya sa akin like things like that and i'm like mm-hmm. yeah pare pero like hindi ka naman this isn't a movie where you're the bida you know like eventually your life is going to get boring and you know it will help if you have someone there with like something else going on right and that was always the way i imagined a good relationship playing out right and 
that's that's something honestly like I have a hard time relating with other guys too because they talk about how beautiful uh, the girl they're dating is or like how easy she is on the eyes or like you know and and like when when we have we've had a few beers how good they look in a bathing suit right <laughs> uh, uh, but like a lot of my guy friends like when it gets to that point uh, you know they have a hard time thinking of other things to say right uh, yeah exactly and, exactly <laughs> and I'm just like. Well, if you had picked someone with uh, a bit more of a personality, a bit more pushback, right? You wouldn't you wouldn't run out of things to say because they they tell you that the, all the wonderful things about them, right? And you know it's like you're you're in a relationship with a stranger because you don't expect like mm-hmm. uh, a narrative to originate from this person. Yeah, so th- that was always something strange to me. But do you think you'll find love in the province? Because the province. <laughs> It's really thin pickings. Eh? Like, I'll be honest with you. Me and my girlfriend, we talk about it all the time. Like, we're just like... Someone from Cebu, Rami. Lipat ako dyan. Honestly, like, I'm not very optimistic with my dating life this COVID. Because uh, before, when I was in the firm, I could go to Poblacio. I mean, I meet people when I go out, eh. Parang now, it's just like, I could meet people online, Bumble, pero honestly, it's not worth the... <laughs> worth the hassle anymore. The Delta variant also. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't know, like, and part of it, and ito, side, ano lang, side topic, because part of the struggle also with women in the Philippines, or in general, di ba, I'm 32. I'm older than you, because I work. So, parang, laging this, like, kung yung mga guys who want to settle down, I wouldn't be, like, the first choice, because I'm older. Or like you'd get someone younger because your biological clock would be an issue. I mean, and women in uh, very stressful jobs, like being a lawyer. You know, my friends are who are lawyers and working. They had to quit, eh, because it's so hard to get pregnant. So, I mean, so may ganyang practical factors also. And if your dream is a white picket fence house with a family, baka 32-year-old lawyer like me wouldn't be the best choice. Cause like, baka hindi pa ako magkaanak kasi like, I'm very busy with other aspects of my life. <laughs> Yun, but I can, mga babae na friends ko, we always have that conversation now. Na it's becoming, you know, like being thir- in my early 30s, it's becoming harder to also meet people, not just being a lawyer, but the age. Mm. Yeah. But like, how do you think uh, that will be reconciled? Like that that conflict though? Like, 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 how how is the level of hope that you have? Mas <laughs> hope for the 2022 elections. <laughs> That's my. <laughs> And I told you, diba, I wasn't very hopeful about the. Pero mas hopeful ba ako don? <laughs> reconciling this. Because, <laughs> like, I, honestly, like, this is a cultural thing, eh. It's so hard to change culture, eh. It's structure, pwede pa, because it, it's electoral process. Pero culture, I really don't know how. Like, because my course is development studies, di ba, in Ateneo. As long as to my, because we're very strong women in that course. Yung program director daw namin, yung sabi, parang yung market ng BS women are foreigners. Because, <laughs> like, and, true enough, ha? 
Um, yung mga namimit na yung mga people in my circle, in my course who are getting married, they're all abroad now, which is kind of not naman sad. Pero kasi we we aim for development work in the Philippines because that's our training. So pero because we can't meet men here, we will migrate abroad and you know start a family there. So yeah. For interesting challenge from director na pala yung nagsabi na ang market ng DS women are ano, foreigners. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, you, you could always uh, go for like an LLM or something and then like make mm. Boodle one of them there and then bring in. <laughs> pero yeah, sinabi niya rin sa akin yan a lot of times. Uh, pero ako naman kasi dami like happy naman ako in general with being single. I mean, I I've been single for my last relationship was college eh. I've been single for 15 years ba? I think. Never been in a long... So, I, my theory is, you know, there are people who are meant to be in a relationship, um, but there are people like me, maybe, who, you know, baka, I mean, I'm not... I, I, I can't... Part of the reason I broke, we broke up, yung first and last boyfriend ko, was because I didn't see the point of having a boyfriend of, you know, of, syempre may ibang usapan na on whatever, physical aspect. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. We don't, we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay talking about it. Pero, pero yun, um, pero yung fact of, ano, of, you know, being talaga, baka, feeling ko hindi nga, baka, it's a personal choice also. I mean, part of it, syempre, hindi ako makahanap here, pero part of it, Just the thought of um, being with someone na matagal, parang, hindi ako sabi din na-excite. Parang gusto ko yung excitement lang of the short term. <laughs> I don't know. Maraming <laughs> different conversation with wine. <laughs> Not here. Oh, yes. If, if this whole thing blows over, I'll be sure to ask you for for a bottle of wine so that we can we can talk about these very, very interesting yes. things. You can process my, ano, my current predicament. <laughs> Yeah, I'm for sure I won't do an LLM anymore. I'm 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 happy to be based in the Philippines. Mm. Well, that was that was always one of the things that I that I always got from our conversations. Because like whenever I thought like if Joanne is to is to find a boyfriend, like I, I pity him kapag hindi siya matalino. Because <laughs> you wouldn't be happy, you know. Like, yeah. I mean, you needed you, need, you needed the guy to intellectually challenge you. I think for you to remain interested, right? That's true. <laughs> And historically, yung uh, na-date ko talaga, yung attraction ko talaga is intellect. Yung physical aspect, wala akong particular type, I noticed eh. Pero kapag they start engaging me with conversation, that that's interesting. Yeah, that's my weakness. Pero yun lang ah, parang kasi yung na-date ko older guys eh. Um, and which, baka bad luck lang, na you know, older guys na ano have no plans of of being in a long-term relationship, which for a time, for a while, will work for me. Pero parang mapapagod din pala ako eh. So, whatever. Mm. <laughs> which be happy. You know, the, you, you, you came to the same conclusion my girlfriend did. She's actually telling, because I'm four years older than my girlfriend. Okay. So she, yeah, so she goes around telling her friends, like, date an older guy. It's so much, it's better. Mm-hmm. Like, walang drama. He's very logical. Mm. And that's what she tells her friends. Um, Sige, But uh, we, we've talked about we've talked about your love life. It's terribly, terribly entertaining. And so, uh, the next question will be the penultimate question for the podcast. Because this is this is the thing I I have gotten into the habit of asking everyone who comes on, in the hope that if this podcast is still going, uh, I can ask this question 
I can ask if the if their answer to the question became true. Mm. Uh, where do you see yourself in five years? Hmm. My God, this is like Ilagan's question. Atay ni Ilagan's question na lang mo sa ano nego. Nego. <laughs> <laughs> Pero honestly. I don't know, Rami. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's the pandemic. Because um, I thought after passing the bar that I will do litigation as a career um, in a firm, uh, get up the ranks, um, or transfer government and do litigation through the public attorney's office. Pero parang hindi. And now I'm in an NGO doing policy work. So now I'm in a crossroads, truth be told. I am trying to figure out um, where I'll go na will make sense. Pero parang ngayon, yung frame of mind ko, wherever I would want to go, be five years from now, I'd like to make the most of the skills that I have, the time that I have. Parang, di ko lang if I get it from Sec Jesse na, you know, we just, we have a short, I mean, our life is very, baka COVID din. Parang, life's too short. Uh, we, we try to make the best of what we can, try to make that difference, our mark in the world. So that's what I'm trying to find. Um, I'm trying to find the best place that I can make a difference. I don't know if it's in the NGO I am right now or going back to government. Um, but I'm really resigned to the fact that development work is really the career path for me. And if I will do litigation, it will be on, a lit- on the side. Like if I have more pro bono work, or, you know, um, family cases. Um, pero other than that, policy for me is the way to change things in this country. And mm. that's what I hope to do. Mm. But, you know, it, it's one of those things that's really that's really hard to do. Because, like, I occupy, like, a, a few ex-official positions. Mm. Like, I'm, I'm something like the networking committee for the legislative yeah, uh, so- advocacy monitoring yeah, yeah. of the uh, Export Development Council. We essentially yeah. advocate on behalf of manufacturers. And there's so many boring details that people miss, uh-huh. yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, and, like, you really do have to advocate on policy. And the more boring, the better. Because these are the things that truly, mm. truly affect our society. Yeah. Right? So, you know, you're doing the Lord's work, John. Because I only do it a part-time. And <laughs> I'm sick of it now. <laughs> Pero ako, well, part of my interest in my current work, hindi ko masyado na-share, pero yung advocacy ko, well, the project I'm handling is on speed limits. Interesting, road safety. Like, at first, parang ako, why is speed limits a big issue? And it turns out, you know, like, it's the number five, number three cause of death in the Philippines, um, dying from road crashes um, or accidents. And every hour, you know, an act, there's a road crash in the country because of um, generally because of overspeeding. And the, the simplest way to curb that is by having speed limit ordinances in local governments. And yung ganong simple na solution, you know, you just need to have your local council um, identify areas. Kasi dapat specific areas, pag school zone, you have slower speed. Those are mandates of the LGU. Parang yung ganong, yung ganong, a seemingly big problem would require a uh, seemingly, you know, like very simplistic, but it's a pretty simple solution. Advocate for speed limits, pero siyempre ibang issue enforcement. Um, pero we have to start somewhere. And for me, that's exciting work. Yung mga, hindi mo pinapansin problema. Pero 
collectively, if we put our heads or minds into it and having political will, you can do it. And, you know, I'm not for anything. Davao City is a very good example of a good speed limit um, ordinance and enforcement. Um, kaya they were able to curb by 60% the incidence of road crashes. Ang ano siya, in fairness. Yeah, and just just to like give another example, because these are the things I like to talk about. I like mm. small things, mm. right? Like, um, you know, it would be really easy for the Philippines to set up like a very expensive uh, supply chain for like a car manufacturer, because actually the fact that uh, we're connected by uh, only by boats is not such a bad thing. It doesn't make the logistics cost go up so much on its own to transport parts and materials and inventory mm. between islands. Because actually. Movement by boat is one of the cheapest ways to move goods, right? Pero the reason why you can't get a large manufacturing operation uh, up and running in the Philippines, or at least one of the large reasons aside from like the foreign ownership restrictions mm. and such, is uh, that most of the inter-island shipping lanes, like every every major route that is plied in the Philippines, mm. right, by boat, is a monopoly. <laughs> really? By can you say who or you cut it? No, no, no. It's 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 so each port. So like say for example a particular route, right? Mm. If you if you if you randomly picked routes that connect the different islands in the Philippines, like there's a 95% chance the route you picked is only plied by one shipping line. Ah, okay, gets. Yeah, and it's, yeah. the yung routes na yun, it ha, it's a franchise, ba? I mean, it's guarded by the government, diba, to, to be able yeah, to. Yeah. So, well, most likely now, it's the, <laughs> you get the patronage thing coming in, <laughs> who's got oh. sense. It's the people who are, it perpetuates that cycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, on on that note, Joanne, like, uh, I, I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. It was a very informative podcast. I think it's one of the better episodes I've done. Thank you for coming. 